Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, this new day that you have given to us. And as we continue to worship you today, and not just here in your house, but understanding that wherever we go and whatever we do, our life is to be an act of worship to you. So be with us this entire day. And in our words and our actions and our thoughts and how we treat our our family members, our neighbors, and those who are around us, may we most clearly demonstrate the love and faith that we have received and have now been called to pass on to those who are around us. Speak to us in your word this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So this weekend, we're going to finish up our three-week sermon series called Vision Quest, looking forward together as we look forward to what God is calling us to do, as, as we look into this future of what is God asking us to do and who is God asking us to be. And over the past two weeks, we've read the mission statement together, and, and I'm going to encourage you to read it again. It was something that we created together as uh, through the Upward Onward listening sessions. We listened to each other and spent time talking with one another about who is God calling grace to be. Would you read that with me this morning? Just that very top phrase. Grace is a family growing in Christ while reaching out in love. We said all of that is found actually in just one passage in Scripture. Well, you find it throughout Scripture, but you could find it all encompassed in one passage. That one passage is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Would you read that as well with me? We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So two weeks ago, we talked about how God calls us to be a family, which means we are brothers and sisters in Christ, children of our Heavenly Father, that through the waters of baptism, we are invited into and brought into His family to worship and serve and to do life together. And then one of the things that the family does is the family grows in Christ. We look at that last weekend, and the word that he used there from Paul is that we are to grow in our faith abundantly. And that word abundantly, uh, we said last week, actually means to grow to its fullest limit, to its fullest extent. Uh, I use the image of a balloon where that balloon is so filled with air that if you put one more breath of air into it, it would burst. Like that's the faith we're called to grow into. Now, this side of heaven, we will never reach the uttermost abundance of faith, but yet God continues to call us to grow into it, to learn. And today we're going to talk about what does it mean then to reach out in love? What we've been talking about over these past three weeks is this. Why does grace exist? Why did God call grace into existence in this place at this time where we are at? Because where we're at has changed over time. In fact, I find it pretty amazing that a church, grace, in just over 80 years has gone through four buildings. You believe that? That's, that's pretty amazing, which means that it's been just over 20 years on average in a building, which churches have a tendency to get really attached to their buildings and not want to give them up. And yet grace has always had that foresight, that willingness to say, we're not going to cling to a building, but we're going to cling to the purpose for which God created us. And that's what we're looking at is why do we exist? But this morning, what I want to ask you is why do you exist? What is your purpose? Why did God create 
you. At this time, in this place, in Menominee Falls, with your family, in the job that you work in, in the place that you serve, in the community that you're a part of, in the church that you belong to, why do you exist? What's your purpose? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about why did God bring you into existence? I think it's such an important question, and yet many times we don't think about that, that God created you on purpose, for a purpose, and brought you into existence so that, that, that you have a purpose. Now, now, I know that over time, that if we don't understand that, that that purpose is going to change. So, for instance, when I was growing up, I always thought, well, my whole purpose is to be a son, a student, and an athlete. Right, like, like I would go to school, I would go to my games and to my practices, and then I would go home, and then go to school, games and practices, home, right? And so, so that's why I existed, so that I could get good grades, so that I could be a good athlete, and so that I could be a good son. But the problem is, is that at some point you graduate, so you're not going to school anymore. At some point, your sports career is over, believe it or not. And at some point, hopefully, you move out of your parents' home, right? So if all those three things are gone, well, what then? Well, maybe it's because then I'm called to be a pastor or wherever you serve, and I'm called to be a husband, and, a, and I'm called to be a father. And, but the truth is that someday, hopefully, my children will move out. My wife and I are both human, which means we're temporal, which means at some point, one of us will die before the other. And believe it or not, it doesn't seem like it right now, but at some point, I will probably retire. Which means that I'm no longer the pastor of a church. So that's gone. So why exactly do I exist then? You see, if we're existing for something that is very temporal in this world, then it is always going to change. And we're always going to have to be changing our purpose along with why our circumstances, because circumstances are circumstantial. They're constantly changing. So if we're living for ourselves, and if we're living for something that, that, that is circumstantial, we are never going to find solid ground. And then we're going to end up looking back at our life and go, what do I have to show for everything? Well, what do I have to show for being an athlete or a student or a son? What do I have to show for my work or for my, my marriage or, or for raising my... Like, what do I have to show for it? We're constantly going to have to be asking that question. Did I do it right? What, was I correct? Did, was I successful? Was I... Right? Like, if my purpose is something that is temporal, something is circumstantial, then it is something that is way too small, let me tell you. Because I believe that God has created us for something much bigger and something that does not change. And it's the same thing for his church. And when I ask why does the church exist, I'm not even asking why does grace exist? When we say why does the church exist, meaning why does the church throughout the world exist? Why, do, why are there churches in Africa and in Honduras? And, and why are there churches in Wisconsin and churches in Florida and churches in California and churches uh, in, in Illinois and in New York? Right? Like why are, what's the purpose of the church? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because if our 
purpose is something that is very circumstantial, then we're never going to have solid ground and solid foundation. But I believe that we're going to see in Scripture that there is a foundational purpose for the church that does not change. And we're going to start by looking at that in the book of Acts. I want to encourage you to open up to Acts chapter 8 in the Bibles in front of you. If you have a a Bible app on your phone, Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. If you brought your own Bible, that's great. Now understand this. In Acts chapter 1, just as you're getting there, trace the history. Jesus ascends. And in ascending, he actually tells his disciples, look, you are called to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But all the way through chapter 8, they really don't go anywhere but stay in Jerusalem. So, so God says, go, go out, be my witnesses throughout the world. And they just kind of say, well, I, I think we should stay in Jerusalem. So they huddle together in Jerusalem. Until in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, it says there was a, a great persecution that broke out that was so great that it scattered the disciples. And so God uses this persecution, because God works all things for the good. He uses this persecution to fulfill the purpose of making them witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And we see in Acts 8, 26, that Philip fulfills that purpose by making sure that the gospel starts to go to the ends of the earth. Starting in verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So Philip rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So we understand that this Ethiopian eunuch who obviously came from well out of town to Jerusalem somehow in in some way was Jewish. He came to Jerusalem to worship in the temple, was familiar with the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, and was reading out of the scroll of Isaiah. And God is preparing this Ethiopian eunuch for something he's going to do in Philip's life. And we're going to get back to how significant some of those things are in just a moment. Continuing. And so the Spirit said to Philip, notice who's directing Philip. The Spirit is. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran to meet him. I think we kind of skip that detail every once in a while. Uh, Philip ran to an Ethiopian who was riding in a chariot. So how fast was Philip running, right? And the only reason that he could do that is because he was filled with the Spirit. So Philip runs up next to this chariot and hears him reading Isaiah the prophet and says, do you understand what you are reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, says, how can I understand it unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Do you hear Philip's question? Do you understand what you are reading? If you were here last weekend, you would hopefully make that connection to that word understand. And if you weren't, let me just make that connection for you. Last weekend, we were talking about growing in Christ. And we were talking about the the parable of the sower and the seeds and the four different soil types. And the first soil type, which was the path. And the seed was scattered onto the path, but it it could not go into the path because the path was too hard and the birds came and, and took the seed and took it away. And that seed is the word of God when implanted into the good soil produces faith and that faith produces a crop 160 and 30 fold. And it said that the seed of the word of God didn't go into that path because 
They hear, but they don't understand. And then it said, but in the fourth soil type, the good soil, that that seed not only went into the soil, but it grew and it was plentiful because they heard and they understood. And so here is Philip who says, do you not just hear, but do you understand what you are reading in the scroll of Isaiah? He says, I, I, I don't. I don't understand it because I need someone to guide me. And this is a reminder to us that you and I, we need someone to continually guide us as we spend time in God's Word. That we are continually called as a family to be growing in Christ, in His Word, in His gifts, and to listen to those and follow those who would guide us. Which doesn't just mean pastors on Sunday mornings, but it can mean Bible study leaders who teach us on Sunday evenings or, or in our small groups on Wednesday nights or on Monday nights or whenever our, the small group meets together. Or it means teachers who are in our day school classroom who are helping our students to understand. Or, or right now, some of your children are receiving that guide by those who serve in our jam and thrive. And this afternoon, Club 35, our third through fifth graders, will receive that guidance. And, and on Sunday night, Ignite, our small group leaders grant that guidance. And that God continues to provide guides so that we who don't always understand what God's word says or we think we do, but that we don't apply it to our life can help us to understand so that we can grow in Christ. And so he says, I, I need someone to guide me. And he invites Philip in. And so Philip sits down with him, and now the passage of Scripture says that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him, and who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. So the eunuch says to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Like, he is reading it, but he doesn't understand it. He is saying, who is this person who was led to be slaughtered, who when he was killed, justice was denied him and his life was taken away? Like, who is he talking about? Is it, is it Isaiah? Is he talking about himself? Or is he talking about somebody else? And in that moment, Philip gets the opportunity to share the gospel. It says, so then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news of Jesus. Can I tell you, I think there are three things that are so significantly important and applicable to us in our understanding of our calling as Christians. And the first one is this. Do you notice that Philip just goes out of his way to spend time with this Ethiopian eunuch because he is open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit? And I wonder how many times we don't find the time to spend time with somebody that God has put into our life so that we can share the gospel with them. We go, you know what, I'd love to tell you about Jesus, but I have a soccer game to get to, and then I gotta drive my kids to violin, and then I gotta get home, I gotta cook, and I got laundry to do, and then I have to get to this, and I have a meeting tonight, right? Like, like and instead of actually just taking the time to spend time with somebody who needs to hear about Jesus Christ, we are so busy and our schedules are so overwhelmed that we don't find the time to do the most important thing of all, and that's share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone else. And he takes time. His entire schedule, his day, had to be completely interrupted from this, right? It's not like he put this on his schedule. The Spirit comes and says, go, and he goes. And are we open enough to the Spirit to go when the Spirit says, go? The second thing is he just, sh just simply shares Christ. That's it, right? 
He doesn't give him an entire small catechism lesson. He doesn't try to teach him everything that the scriptures contain. He says, beginning with Isaiah, he shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. Simple. He just shares the love of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you and for me. And the third thing to recognize is that Philip doesn't start the conversation. The Holy Spirit does. Right? The Ethiopian eunuch is already reading the word of God. Philip just shows up after God has already started and done the work. Philip isn't the one who is doing this. It's the work of the Holy Spirit who is already working in the life of the Ethiopian eunuch. And that's the same for us. That when God calls us to speak the gospel into somebody else's life, to share Christ with them, God is already working on their life. And he's not asking us to produce faith in them. We can't cause someone else to believe. All he's asking us to do is to be faithful in sharing the gospel, to plant the seed of faith through the power of the word and the Holy Spirit. And God does the rest. We're called to be faithful and God produces the fruit. We're just called to take the time to simply share Christ and let the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do. And then notice what the Holy Spirit does. It says, as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Could you imagine how much of a celebration that must have been for Philip that day? What an amazing gold star day that must have been for him. To be able to see a life completely changed that day. I don't, know, I don't know how many of you remember all the way back to September, it seems like a long time ago, when uh, we talked about the three things we wanted to embrace this year, intentionally investing, intentionally engaging, and intentionally inviting. And when we talked about intentionally inviting others to be a part of what God did, it was on that weekend that we put a bunch of party hats out and asked everyone to take a party hat. Do you remember that? Some of you remember that? Some of you probably still have that. I know some of you do because I've seen it in some of your cars. I still have mine in my office. And I said that if we want to party with heaven, then we need to do what heaven does and why we need to party over what heaven parties over. And scripture tells us it. Scripture says there is more rejoicing in heaven, or the Pastor Howard version says, there is more partying in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons in unneed, who don't need repentance. And if we want to party with the angels, the angels party when someone who doesn't know Jesus comes to know Jesus and is baptized into the family of God. You see, that's what Philip, Philip got to party with the angels that day. He got to celebrate a life that was far from Christ being brought near and his life being changed for eternity. And that's what God calls us to do. In fact, it was so simple for, for Philip that at that moment it says that, that the Spirit came, carried Philip away, and the eunuch never saw him again. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel. And Philip just keeps going. Like, Philip doesn't know what's going to end up happening to him, but it's not his job to. His job was to simply share Jesus and let the Holy Spirit do the rest of the work. And he got to party with God that day. So in reading this, if you asked Philip, why does the church exist... What would Philip have said? To bring people who are far from God near to him. To baptize people of all ages so that they might know about Jesus and that their life might be changed just as ours is. So that we can reach out in love. 
And that's what God calls us to do. God calls grace into existence so that we can do what the church has always done, which is to reach out in love, which means this. That just as Philip and God's people throughout the book of Acts were filled with the Spirit, that we are called to be a Spirit-filled church so that we who are called to reach out in love towards those in our community can see God build His kingdom among us. Like, like we are not in existence for ourselves. It is too small of a thing to be in existence for ourselves, to care most about ourselves, to exist only for those who are already in the church. In fact, you will not find that in the book of Acts. I challenge you if, you, if you don't believe that's true, read the entire book of Acts. And you cannot find in the entire book of Acts a time where they were only invested in themselves without being invested in reaching out in love towards those who are around them. That's why they existed. And God, it says in Acts, over and over and over again, continually added to their number that day those who were being saved because they reached out in love. And you and I have a greater purpose than ourselves. It's the building of the kingdom of God. I'm reminded of a story I once heard about John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy in 1962 was touring NASA with his Secret Service and his entourage. And as they were walking the halls, preparing for that shuttle to take off to put a man on the moon, as he's walking along and looking at everything that they're doing and going in all of the rooms and, and, and learning about what's taking place at NASA, he sees a janitor who is off to the side mopping the floor. And he walks up to that janitor and, and, and stops everything that's going on and, and says to that janitor, what are you doing? And the janitor looks at him and goes, I'm putting a man on the moon. To which many of us would be like, no, you're mopping a floor. You're like, like, you're not putting anyone on the moon. Like, you're not a scientist. You're, you're not a mathematician. You're not an astronaut. You're just, you're just a janitor who's mopping floors. But you see, he saw that what he did, as simple as it might be, was significant because somebody had to mop the floors so that somebody could get to the moon. And that's us. We are all called to serve in different ways. You know, that there are people uh, who gather here during the week to make sure that things are done and prepared so that we can enjoy worship on a weekend. And we have servants who come during our week so that all of those envelopes and, and all of those wonderful pieces of paper our children love to scribble all over to occupy themselves, like somebody has to come in to fill those. Our windows, somebody needs to clean those. Our bathrooms though, need to be cleaned. Our floors need to be cleaned. Our, our, our carpets need to be vacuumed. Our, our outside needs to be beautiful. Like There are people who volunteer their time to do it, and, and, and most of us might not even recognize that, but every single large or small act of service helps to be a significant action for the sake of the building of the kingdom of God. That's why we exist. We don't exist for big numbers. We don't exist to make a name for ourselves. We don't exist to build buildings or to grow budgets. We don't even exist to just have a student ministry or a care ministry or a school ministry or a missions ministry. We don't exist for those purposes. We exist so that our ministries might make known the name of Jesus Christ. We exist so that people who are far from God might be brought near to Him. Not to fill our pews, but to fill heaven. Because you and I, we do things that won't always fill our pews. Like, this is why we go to Honduras. Because uh, I can almost guarantee you that none of the children in Honduras will ever be in our pews. I mean, it would be wonderful if they could, but it is more than likely they will never be in our pews. But we're not about just filling our pews, but we're, filling, we're about filling heaven. 
We're about building the kingdom of God. And if we look inward, that's not going to happen. In fact, I can tell you what happens to churches that look inward. This past week, I got an email from our South Wisconsin District President that when the Council of Presidents, all the presidents of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod met to talk about the placement of seminary students, that they talked about how just in the past, I think it was six months, 10 churches in the LCMS closed. 10 churches closed their door for the last time. There are 90% of churches right now, according to some studies, that are in decline in their membership. Many heading towards closing their doors for the last time. And as they did these studies, one of the things they found that was most in common was that what the church fought about, what the church talked about, what the church prayed about, what the church invested in, were things that were only happening inside their doors. They only cared about wanting what they wanted. They cared about their personal preferences instead of people. And our preferences will never serve people. They will only serve us. And that is too small of a thing to care about. We are not about building up a name for ourselves, but we are about building the kingdom of God and changing lives for eternity and reaching out in love. The reason that we have a church, a home base to stand on, is not just so that we can stand there and be happy, but so that we can change the world, so that we can reach out in love and leverage all of the gifts that God has given to us from our time, our resources, our our church ministry staff, and, and all that God has given to us so that we can change the world for Jesus Christ. Because here's what I believe. That a person's death is either the best or worst day of their life. It's the best day of their life because if that person believes in Jesus Christ, they are now standing in the presence of Jesus forever and what better day could there ever be? Or it's the worst day of their life because they're not standing in the presence of Jesus nor will they ever for the rest of eternity. And you and I get to be a part of the building of the kingdom of God. And we do that when we reach out in love. Because this is exactly what Jesus did for us. We reach out in love just as Jesus reached out to us, changing lives through his life, death, and resurrection. This is what Jesus said. Would you just read the the part in yellow at the bottom, the words of Jesus with me? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What does it say? It's the only way that people will know we are his disciples. Is it because we have big buildings? Is it because we have a great budget? Is it because we made a name for ourselves? Is it because we're filled our pews? Because everybody, you know, like, wow, Grace, look at what they're doing. Is that why people know we're his disciples? No. It says people will know you are God's disciples if you have love for one another. God calls us to reach out in love. And I believe the question that we can use here at Grace to remind us constantly that we are called to reach out in love is this one. How can I fully love others as I am fully loved by God? Because you are fully loved. God delights in you. Do you realize that there is nothing ever that you can do to change the love of Jesus Christ for you? Like, God doesn't love an A student more than he loves a student who drops out of high school. He does not. God loves us all equally. And our question is, how can we as a church fully love 
as we are fully loved by God, so that we who are established as a mission outpost to demonstrate this love through service and witness and outreach and generosity, that we can intentionally invite in those who are far from Christ and care for those who are around us. That is God's calling. In fact, that is why we were created. Right? We were a mission outpost planted in downtown Menominee Falls through four buildings and we're still here. And we are here to be a mission outpost still for the sake of the building of the kingdom of God, to intentionally reach out as Philip did and as God calls you to do, to reach out to the people in your life with the love of Jesus Christ and service and witness and outreach and generosity so that they might be brought near to him. And I just need to tell you that God actually does this. I got an email this past week to demonstrate this based on our sermon Saturday. And there was a group here that worshiped with us last weekend from Place of Refuge. And they filled out the connection card, marked that they were a guest, and so we sent them an email saying, hey, welcome, we were so glad that you were here among us worshiping with us. And, and so they sent an email back and they said, you know, we came to worship with you because uh, you came and you showed great love for us in caring for us at Place of Refuge and we just wanted to come and worship with you and see what this was all about. Do you see when we reach out in love, the effect it has on the lives of people. And we can keep doing that. The eighth grade mission trip, the trip to Honduras, by caring for people at Falls Memorial Fest and sharing the gospel with them by reaching them downtown. Through uh, ministries that are taking place here at Grace. In fact, if you're looking for a way to serve, there's an entire binder over by the donation bin that lists different opportunities that we have to serve. But God calls us here at Grace to be that church, that group of people who are a family growing in Christ while reaching out in love so that we don't exist for ourselves. But we exist so that we can see lives changed and God's kingdom built among us as we reach out in love just as Philip did and watch lives being changed both now and for eternity as God fills heaven through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to fill heaven through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the work that you do in your love and grace and sacrifice. Make us to be that people who are not so concerned with ourselves that we forget the purpose for which we exist, and that is to share the love of Jesus Christ, inviting in those who are far from you that heaven might be filled. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give to you his everlasting peace. Amen. Please stand for a closing song.